What's up, everybody? This is episode five of Ballers on Tap. I am KK. What it is, what it do, what it ain't. Along with my co-host, Mr. Evan Kelly. We got a loaded show for you today, guys. We're going to talk about Braves, the Atlanta United, and of course, we got to talk about this NBA second round, the sweeps, the craziness that's going on, what LeBron's doing. But before we talk about all that, we're going to jump into our beer of the week submitted by Chris Wilson on Twitter. We appreciate the shout out. 21 underscore FYA. Y'all go give him a follow. And before we jump into the beer, I do just want to kind of put a shout out for us out there. If you're not already doing it, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Ballers on Tap. Find us on the iTunes podcast store, Ballers on Tap. Uh, for you Android folks, you know you can find us on Stitcher as well. So, a few different ways to come reach out to us, uh, subscribe to us, rate us. Feel free to leave us suggestions for some beer. Like AJ said, this week is uh, coming from Chris. So, we're always open to these suggestions, but since this is Ballers on Tap, let's go ahead and get to that on tap section. And uh, AJ, what we got this week? All right, today... We have White Zombie White Ale from Catawba Brewing Company up in what, North Carolina? Yeah, it says uh, Morganton, North Carolina. Oh, North Carolina. It's called the White Zombie White Ale. Let's check this out. All right, what do you think? Um... I can kind of taste a little bit of an orange peel. Very, very light though. To be honest, I it doesn't have much flavor at all. It's kind of stale. Kind of stale. Yeah, not stale as in like it's old or something, but it's just kind of it's just kind of there. I agree. It's a <clears throat> not a whole lot of flavor to it. I can kind of see what they're trying to do. Um, and I mean, when you look up on the can, it does say. Um, addition to coriander, orange peel, give it a fruit and spicy character. The, it seems like they could have maybe added more. It, it tastes, more flavor, yeah. Yeah, it tastes more like a really, really light beer that has a, yeah. a little bit of orange, but not nearly as much as like a Blue Moon or um, Shock Top. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's the, not even close to that. Yeah, the actual kind of orange beers. Um, and then it's talking about spice i really don't taste much spice it, it's it's not, a, there's not much flavor man yes. in my opinion it's it's just kind of there we're, we're gonna get some hate on this but i don't i don't know maybe these aren't cold enough or something but yeah it's a little it's a little underwhelming yeah we we definitely appreciate chris letting us know checking out this beer but in my opinion man i'm not sure what you what you uh what you why you drink this <laughs> it's not terrible. I mean, let me just say it's not terrible, but it's it's not something I would grab. Yeah, I mean the, the can. Yeah, the can is what really cool got my attention. That's actually really cool. Yeah, the can's like this, like shiny purple with a white zombie just right front and center. It looks like something off The Walking Dead. Um, you go to the back. There's like a graveyard with a hand sticking up. I mean, it just looks like a scene straight out of Halloween. So the the design of the can, I think that's what catches your eye at the shelf but um you know what it actually kind of reminds me of since it's kind of like tastes like a really really light beer 
It kind of tastes like Bud Light wheat. A li- I was about to say just a little bit bitter Bud Light with mm-hmm. a kind of like a hint of like some kind of seasonal in there. Yeah. It's kind of like a Bud Light wheat almost where they, you know, when they tried doing that. But um, it's lighter. It's lighter than the shock tops and blue moon. So I think it's it might be a little easier to drink, but it's definitely not as flavorful. And what's the uh, what's the alcohol content on this? Got five point one. That's pretty so, standard. Yeah, pretty pretty average for a beer. Nothing too crazy. Well, all right. Um, let's say on like a scale of one out of ten. One out of ten, maybe a four. Yeah, I I I seem kind of harsh, but yeah, it's just it's just not my favorite. Not not something I would grab. I'll give it I'll give it a five, just because I think they're. They're pretty light, so they'd be really easy to drink. If yeah, you it, it's definitely something you get a 30-pack of these, but <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be straight. But that's so 5 out of 10, 4 out of 10. We'll average that out, say 4.5 out of 10. Okay, so there's the on-tap section. Anybody want to disagree with us, let us know. Anybody yeah. thinks they have a, a better suggestion, please let us know. Again, we're always trying beers from wherever we hear from um, all around the country. I know we we're pretty Atlanta centric, but we're more than happy to try beers from breweries all around the States. So that being said, let's just go ahead and jump straight into AJ's favorite section. I would say it's my favorite, but <laughs> what's going on with the Braves Atlanta Braves. You know, last last week we were uh, during we were filming the show. We had Mike Soroka making his major league debut. Mm-hmm. We were heading into the Mets. Mets were first in National League East, and we we knew if we won a couple games there in that three game series, the Braves would be first in the NL East and first time in I want to say it's 2012. I want to say so. It's it's been a while. Well, we played great that series. We swept the Mets, gave us a lead of a game and a half. In NL, NL East, the, fans were s- sky high about the Braves. You could just feel it in the town. I know I was looking at tickets. They came home for a little three-game homestand this past weekend, Friday, against the Giants. And I was like, man, I kind of want to go tonight. There's so much hype around the team. So I was looking for tickets, standing room only. Yep, standing which room is, only crazy for Atlanta Braves regular season game. So yeah, so we're we're flying high, you know. But what we did this weekend was kind of just the Braves. <laughs> the Barves. We, yeah, the Barves. We we looked like the Barves this weekend. We got swept by the Giants. It the starting pitching was rocked all weekend. Giants are a pretty decent team, but it's not a team you get swept by. That Saturday game got ugly though. Losing Two to eleven. Yeah, that's the exact same. Last week we were talking about how we're putting up these big numbers against the other teams that don't look like baseball scores. Well, here we were on the other end of that. I mean, yeah, because we ran through the Mets. We've been, yeah, like you said, the offense has been great. But this past weekend, I hope it was just a little hiccup, kind of a wake up call for the guys, saying we're not, we're good, but we can definitely be better. I hope I'm hoping the pitching gets a little better. We start a series tonight, which is Tuesday, with the Tampa Bay Rays. But 
going back to the weekend, we just kind of ran into a hot team. Giants are they're pretty good. Uh, one high note would be Jose Bautista made his debut Friday for the Braves. Mm-hmm. He's hitting 300 so far through the first his first three games, so that's nice. Now he he was called up because we put Dansby Swanson on the DL for a sore wrist. It's nothing major. It's just going to be a 10 day DL. Nothing really to look into or be worried about. But it's nice seeing Jose Bautista come up, add a little pop. That's kind of like I said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about him being in the minors, possibility of calling him up. I said even just having a presence like him on the team might add just a little more confidence or that that little bit of swagger that uh, we really don't see too much around the league. Oh, yeah, for sure. And now him him being able to play is like how you just said, it just adds that. Another threat in the lineup. Yeah. Or even when, if Dan, Danby comes back and you move Jose to a more of a platoon role at third base or just move him to the bench, he's still got that big bat coming off the bench that can help you late in games. So as far as Braves, we're still looking good. We're actually still first in the East. We're 19 and 14. And we just got to keep, keep it going. Just... Take it one day at a time and get it done. But there's still there's a lot of high hopes with this team right now as far as in the city of Atlanta. It's oh, looking yeah. good. Oh, yeah. So, update from last week. Nothing too major. Lost a couple games. But we're still still in a good spot. Like you said, we're still first in the NL, NL East. Sorry, got a little tongue-tied <laughs> there. But, so, I mean, we're still looking good. I mean, Phillies are only one game back but yeah and the Phillies aren't the team I'm worried about I'm worried about the Nationals but the Nationals they're yeah. kind of hanging out right now but we all know they'll get it together after a while yeah, yeah it's still a long season but very hey, long for us to even be in this position is something that we didn't expect to you, you getting the, getting the city hype we're getting we're excited about all these young players and Alex Anthopoulos is calling them up which is awesome it, it, it's great to see I'm re- I'm really excited. You know, I think he he heard our week one episode where I, yeah. was, I was complaining about keep about our <laughs> uh, farm system and how we never call anybody up. And I just hear how great the farm system is. I think he really took that to heart. Well, I know he listens to the show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Braves, let's just keep it going. So now we need to give a shout out to Atlanta United. I know we don't talk about them much, but they're they're rolling right now. We definitely They're looking give, good. We definitely don't give the United the love they deserve. Um, sometimes it just kind of misses the cut of what we're going to talk about on the show. Yeah, exactly. Especially with the NBA playoffs going on. I mean, you've got so much happening in, in each series, in each round. But here we, today, we definitely do want to devote a few minutes to what Atlanta United is doing. Atlanta United, our five stripes. We're first in the Eastern Conference with 22 points. We're 7-1-1. One, one. We scored the most goals in the league, and we're giving up the fewest. So, I want to take that back to exactly what we talked about in week one about how Atlanta we, United. You, I'll give you credit. You, we both said how how offensively gifted they are. Yeah. Um, we saw that last year in their first year, but that they didn't necessarily have the skill to hunker down and keep a game at say one nil. We were basically just relying on scoring up four or five goals against the other team and hoping they don't come back. Um, so to see that stat, 
really shows that what you talked about going into the season, you said they really added to the defensive side of the ball, and that shows. Yeah, exactly. How you said last year we were at like we're just going to outscore you. But yeah, I love the focus, the more focus on defense that we put in the off season and as well as in our in our training cuz yeah, we're not a de- defensive team. Like last year we were not. We were just mm-hmm. outscore you. We know we can score goals. We have a great offense. But now having that ability to also sit back and tighten up when the game gets game gets tight late is great. But back to our goals, Joseph Martinez, he leads the MLS in goals. He's got seven. Miguel Almiron is second. He's got six. So the two stop the two top goal scorers in the MLS, both for Atlanta. Which is great because that just proves that you we know we can score. And it shows the MLS, the other teams, that yeah, we gotta worry about their offense. Now, one big free agent signing that we had, Ezekiel Barco, another offensive guy that we had over this offseason. He scored his first goal in the MLS this past weekend against Chicago Fire. And another thing I want to add before we move on from the United, I will be at the game Wednesday against Sporting Kansas City. Okay. So I'll, I'll, be I'll, be the, I'll be there in the bins. You know, we talked about it before. We both went to a game last year, still in there, and Bobby Dodd. They weren't in the new stadium yet. I went to the SEC Championship game this year in Mercedes-Benz. That was my first time. And now I'm looking forward to seeing that Atlanta United atmosphere in Mercedes-Benz. So to wrap it all up, I'm looking forward to being at the Benz tomorrow, watching our five stripes play. It's going to be fun. And I'm definitely eager to watch the rest of the season, see how far we can go. All right, and that's what's going on with Atlanta United. Kind of like the Braves. Um, still got a ways to go in the season, but, hey, we're happy with where they're at. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's just go ahead and jump in. It's been an eventful week. Let's go ahead and jump into what's going on in the Eastern Conference, the NBA playoffs. Okay, so... Going into the Eastern Conference playoffs, let's just go ahead and start with the series that's still going on. I want to start off with Philadelphia 76ers against the Boston Celtics. So as of standing right now on Tuesday, May the 8th, Celtics are up 3-1 to against the new kids on the block, 76ers. Yeah, emphasis on the new kids. Yeah. So the young, the young, the young up-and-coming Exactly. So, we can start going ahead and just jumping right into the details of the game. But before we do, I just kind of want to look at big picture. Just what you see overall. I'll kick it off. The first thing that kicked, that popped out to me, even game one. And shout out to uh, Hold the Gold on Twitter. Because <laughs> he was he was atting me about the 76ers. And he's a Celtics fan, of course. So, shout out to Hold the Gold. Go follow him, Holden. But uh, Celtics just look like a tougher team. They they did. And, and they have that grittiness, that nastiness. They do. And I think some of that comes from just being in Bo- I mean, Boston. Yeah, being in Boston. Team. Yeah. That's, that's kind of always been their identity. 
um, going back to you know the 60s and the 80s with Larry Bird. And then even when they had that run in the 2000s, you had KG on there and Kevin Garnett. He kind of gave off that that gritty look. And AJ's popping open that second white zombie that he hated so much. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, high level. I think... I don't think the 76ers are soft, though. I think their softness that we're seeing is more inexperience versus, oh, they're a soft team. There's some soft teams around the league. Totally agree. But I don't think the 76ers are one of them. I think this is the first time this group is in the playoffs. And playoff basketball slows down. It gets dirtier. It gets grittier. The refs... Don't blow that whistle as much. They let them play it out. And teams have time to actually game plan versus, you know, that regular season. You fly into a town. You're in the hotel. You might do walkthroughs that next day and try to put in a quick game plan. You're playing that team for one night. You're moving on. Playoffs, you got time to actually study some film. So maybe some of your sets you run. You might try setting a backdoor screen. Well, the other team knows it's coming. They get in your way. There's bodies bumping on and off the ball. And I think that's what the 76ers are finding out is what playoff basketball really is. I agree. And like how you said, Celtics up 3-1. It could easily be a 2-2 series. It could. could. Other than game one, Philly has played well. And back to your inexperience that you bring up. Yeah, look at Philly. J.J. Redick would be their most veteran, seasoned veteran as far as in the playoffs, being with the Clippers and – yeah, you have Bellinelli, and I know Ersan Ilyasova, he, he's had some playoff experience. But other than that, I mean, you don't have much. And I agree. I don't think they're a soft team, but they're kind of learning like what it mm-hmm. what it does take. I think that inexperience really came into play. You saw that game. They got up by, by what, 22 and kind of blew that lead. And that's just, again, I think that's just them being young, um, still having to learn how to close out games here in the playoffs. Yeah, game two, up 22, you lose. Game three, they're up 12. Go to overtime, you lose. I mean, there's some kind of careless turnovers there at the end. But they're right there. They're kind of they're – at, they're at the hump. They just kind of got to get over it. Now, I know they won Monday last night. They looked good, but TJ McConnell was really the yeah. – he was inserted into the starting lineup. I mean, he, he was their best player that night. Yeah, he was. I mean, and now he's not a scorer. He's just – Kind of just ran into – I'm not going to run into some, to some luck, but ran into some shots. He scored 19 points. I mean, that a career high. That's not going to happen. Like, yeah, night. yeah, exactly. He went 19-7-5. and five. He went 9-12 for 12 from the field. And Sarix – I mean, Sarix dropped 25. Yeah, Sarix played well too. So and he's those, he struggled with his shot exactly. pretty much the entire playoffs. You had those other players um, really stepping up. Now – I will say, like, Philly has not had an answer for kind of the Celtics' big three they're playing with right now. Even though they have injuries, you got Al Horford, Jason Tatum, and, you know, scary Terry Rozier. Yeah, which I still don't have faith in him. I mean, he's a 30% or 38% shooter in the regular season. He didn't play that well last night. But, yeah, Horford, Tatum, and scary Terry, 18, 18, and 19, respectively. That's what they're averaging in the playoffs. And that's that's solid. You can't Yeah. You can't ask for any more than that. Al Horford, I feel like he's been one of the biggest surprises to me. He's looking like young Al Horford when he was and, with Atlanta. And I don't think it's a surprise. 
man. Al Horford has always been a walking double double. I mean, he's a solid player, but I feel like he's he's fell off my I, last couple of years. I feel like I think part of it is right now the Celtics are missing their stars, and Al Horford being a veteran who has had that playoff. He's kind of stepping up. He's stepping up to show these other guys what what it takes. And the 76ers, like you said, their best option of having a veteran show them what it takes would be J.J. Redick. And no disrespect, J.J. Redick's had a great year, yeah. better than I thought he would have. But Al Horford, you got a big body who can get in there, get rebounds. He's hitting his mid-range. He's taking threes. The yeah, he's hitting threes. Um, I mean, I think he's shooting threes more consistently than he did in Atlanta. Yeah, he is. I mean... So, so that that is a tough matchup for Philly. Now Joel Embiid's been playing pretty well. Yeah, and Embiid has been balling, but you just you can't really do it by yourself. You no. can you can only do so much. Exactly, and I think the one thing that's been kind of disappointing, really just in one game, it was disappointing. But Ben Simmons in that game two, he only had one point, which is ridiculous because that first series against. The heat. He looked like a young LeBron. Like he was getting to where he wanted to, how he wanted to. But I think it's a, a thing we gotta give credit to Brad Stevens. Adjusting the defense, saying, hey, let let kind of just not back off on him, but lay off on him. Cause Ben Simmons, he's not like a <laughs> let's say a, a Josh Smith. If you leave Ben Simmons open at the three mid range, Ben Simmons isn't gonna take it. He's not going to take the shot because he knows he doesn't have a jump shot. He, so he's he's playing smart. He's playing smart, but at the same time, there's this is kind of one of the knocks I used to have on LeBron way back in the day. Not obviously not now, yeah. but even when he was in Miami a little bit, there's times where you have to play that aggressive spot. There's times you have to know you're the man of that team, and you can't kind of hide away and not be aggressive, not put up your shots, thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to hit this. There's there's points where, hey, you're still one of our best players. I need you to at least go and try to get some buckets. Yeah, so like Ben Simmons, let's say you're open in the mid-range. You got to take the shot. I know you're shooting around and, and shoot around and practice and stuff. I know you're taking jump shots. I mean, I would hope, I hope you are. I'm pretty sure he is, but... It, you only have to hit maybe two, maybe three. So then that the defense has to just, oh, man, he can hit these shots. Now, I am a little disappointed um, when they get into a tough spot like that, the reluctance to like play Markel Fultz. There's somebody, yeah, this year's been a weird year, but we've also seen him come in some games and, and put up some shots. I think that's another piece they could use when Ben Simmons is kind of retreating. Now, he's had some solid games after that. But like you said, I mean, at that point, it could have been 1-1 or it could be tied up 2-2 two two pretty easily. Now they're down 3-1. to one. It'd be very surprising to see them come back from that. I mean, definitely. You look at, I know everybody's been throwing this number around. When teams are 3-0, and the team up 3-0 is 129-0 as far as in the series. Exactly. It just doesn't happen. It's so hard to beat a team four straight. Exactly. I mean, you've seen... Deficits 3-1, you've seen teams come back. But 3-0 is just kind of ridiculous. Now, I do want to touch on the point you said, though, talking about how smart this is making Brad Stevens look. I think that's part of why Terry Rozier is looking as good as he is. I think Brad Stevens has mastered being able to 
look at a guy, see what his strengths are, and know how to play to his player's strengths. He, I think, obviously, if you had Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, he would be playing almost a whole different system. He knows how to take the pieces he has and put them in a position to succeed. He he knows his roster. He knows their strengths, knows their weaknesses of every player, and that just proves like how great of a coach he yeah, is. So I think right and now, and he's showing it. Yeah, I think right now you got to put him up there with uh, Steve Kerr, Coach Popovich. I think. Oh, he, I definitely agree. I, I think I, he's proving himself as an elite coach in this league. For sure, even though he looks all of twenty-one years old. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, how you said? I think you said it last week. That's probably what attracted Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward played with him in college and he knowing how great of a coach he is and how comfortable he is with him one of the reasons why he chose to leave Utah because he did he left a pretty good situation in Utah he did now I know they're young I mean it's in the west and it's very difficult in the west but they made noise last year in the playoffs Mm -hmm. and if he would have came back if barring no injury they'd be right where they are now exactly so I think Again, you're, you're talking about how great Jason Tatum's playing as well. I mean, he's stepping up as a young guy. Yeah, the way he's looking right now. And now, I was watching an ESPN show the other day, and Jalen Rose brought up why they should award the NBA regular season awards. MVP, uh, Rookie of the Year, Comeback, six Man. Why they should reward it after the regular season before the playoffs starts. Because you look at, you're supposed to go off regular season, right? Well, regular season, Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell. Top two, right? I think Ben Simmons should get it. I know he's a red shirt. I still think he should get it. But look at the first round Donovan Mitchell put up. So now that starts to sway votes. And now Jason Tatum, in my opinion, Jason Tatum's looking great right now. Because Donovan Mitchell is kind of taking a little bit of a step back in their series against Houston. And Jason Tatum, he can't be stopped by Philly. He's almost looking like the rookie of the year now. Almost. He's kind of he's yeah. He's kind of he's making still, an argument for. I would still argue. Say like you said, you did go off of some kind of postseason award for regular season. I would still say Ben Simmons. I, but, I do too. But postseason, watching Donovan Mitchell in that first round, I've never seen a rookie just take over games like he did really stepping up as the guy on his team. And I, I think Donovan Mitchell has almost written his legacy as, I mean, a top player in the league just off of even that that first round of the playoffs. Well, see, that's I'm going to get into it later when we talk about that series. But, yeah, he showed out in that first series. Went off, right? Taking control of games and just not showing no fear. Doing whatever he want, taking whatever shot, and making whatever shot. Now, I'm going to go into depth about his stats and how that's really not him. So, it kind of sways votes in that in that way. Because you look, let's say he didn't have that first first round that, that great. For one, they don't get past OKC, I don't, I don't think. I don't think they do. And there's not even a conversation of Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell. Ben Simmons would yeah. have it pretty handy. Yeah. But I think that goes on to say more about Philly. So I want to put this out there. Celtics are up three to one. By the time this comes out, they might be out of the playoffs. 
I think you still have to look at Philly as having a very successful season. I mean, to have a 50-win season through, you know, trusting the process, I think this season is just the beginning for Philadelphia. I think this Philly Celtics matchup is one you're going to see for years to come. Oh, for sure. If you're a Philadelphia fan, you got to love the future. You got to love the regular season, the strides that this team has made, because no one saw this. Maybe an eight seed, seven seed sneaking into the playoffs, but you don't see the season. And I think that helps Ben Simmons' case and whatnot leading this team to this kind of surprise it does. of it does. the year. I mean, 50 wins, that's kind of the, the benchmark in the NBA. You yeah. have a 50-win season. You had, a, you had a great year. You had a good year. Now, on the flip side of that, the way the Celtics are looking in this round is making me more scared of the Celtics in the future. Because, again, this is with them missing their two best players. Yeah. Yeah, and you say that because Jason Tatum going to be great. Jalen Brown going to be great. Terry Rozier, he's showing off. He's doing great. But I think he's just – he's not playing for a contract. I kind of see it as a Reggie Jackson situation. Remember Reggie Jackson was – Man, this backup point guard for OKC, he's going to get paid. He want wants to leave. Now, I'm not saying Terry Rozier wants to leave, but every play, every backup player wants to be a starter. That's just in their DNA, and it should be in their DNA. So I don't see Terry Rozier being in their future plans. I think, you know, I have Danny Ainges. He's very creative, makes some yeah. of the best moves as far as the draft picks and trades. Trey Noy, Isaiah who just came off the best year of his career. Yeah. Danny Ainge is not scared to make those moves. No, but can you imagine this team playing the way they're playing and then having the addition of Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward to help lead them? Because then at that point, when we talk about that veteran presence, you'll have Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford, which I don't see his game just taking a dramatic drop-off anytime soon. His play style, he doesn't need to be the most athletic or the fastest. He's kind of like a pure fundamental player. I agree. It's definitely going to be, like you said, Philadelphia and Boston in the future is definitely going to be some nice, nice playoff matchups. I think this could be Eastern Conference Finals matchups for the next five years. Yeah, especially if, if LeBron stays in the East, when LeBron retires, when he starts to decline, which I don't know when that will be because <laughs> it's ridiculous how he's playing. But, it, yeah, you're yeah. going to have Boston and Philadelphia. I think what's scary. Fighting it out every year. I think Boston has all the pieces they need. They just need them to not be injured. I think Philadelphia, they're literally that, that one piece away, and they're going to be an elite, elite team, along with that one piece and a little more experience for these young guys. Exactly. All this whole playoff run is just a bunch of experience. They're not going to get out of this round. Boston will take it. And that's why if you're a Philadelphia fan, you got to love it. Hold your head up high. Um, I mean, this is a great showing out for, for your young team. And you know, you have something to come. So that's the Philly Celtics. Um, like I said, they're up three to one right now. By the time this is out very well, um, Celtics might be moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals, or who knows? We could be sitting here talking about a series that's tied up next week, or by the time we're recording next week, 
somebody's going to come out victorious. Yeah. I think we're both picking Celtics. Like you said, nobody's ever come back 3-0. It, it just doesn't happen. It's just too difficult. Okay. So let's move on to what just happened in the East. This Cavs and Raptors series. So Cavs pull off the sweep against your beloved Raptors. <laughs> I know la- I know last week you're talking about him saying you're giving LeBron and the Cavs hell for all the hype that was going on and you just beat the Pacers and you kept repeating the first round. It was the first round of the Eastern Conference. And I was trying to tell you it's like man, LeBron's got this thing, got this hex over the Raptors. And Raptors just cannot play. 3 years in a row. Three years in a row. Three years in a row, he's knocked the Raptors out of playoffs. I will say, all this week, I had to walk around looking like an idiot. (laughs) On Twitter, I was looking like an idiot because of what I said last week. I want to remind everybody exactly what I said last week, though. (laughs) And I want to remind them what I said in week one or two prior to the playoffs. So let me just get on my soapbox here for a second just to redeem myself. Now, if you jump back to, I forget if it was week one or week two. We were previewing the playoffs. We were previewing the playoffs. And Raptors were coming in as the number one seed. Now, I said, I don't trust the Raptors for anything. I didn't expect them to get out of the East. I think I I probably thought they'd get to the conference finals. But I said, the Raptors, as a number one seed, they're a fraud. They're, they're not a good team. They had a good season. But as we all know, regular season only means so much. So, jumping from that to what I said last week. Again, they made me look stupid because I did pick the Raptors to come out of the series. <laughs> but again, this doesn't help a whole lot, but I just have to repeat it I, verbatim. I said this is not because of what I've seen from the Raptors. Yeah, I still had zero faith in them as a whole. But it's more because of how bad I saw the Cavs play in that first round. So I think the biggest jump from first round to second round is the Cavs finally started playing as a team. Other players started helping out. But my pick for this second round was not because I thought the Raptors were good. It's because I thought the Cavs were that bad, even with LeBron playing so well. So that's my little tangent just to try to redeem myself a little bit, but man, I've had egg on my face every day this week. <laughs> so I agree with you. The biggest difference in between how you said you, what you haven't seen from the Cavs is his teammates. You, The biggest stat that the whole first series, right? Was no one broke 20 points. None of his supporting that, cast broke exactly. 20 points. That was, that was a big that, takeaway that was from a that first round. Biggest thing. But game two, K-Love drops 31. Game three, he drops 21. Game four, he drops 23. JR's going off. He's hitting shots. You know, he's the streakiest shooter. One of the streakiest shooters in the NBA. And he gets to that point when... He had a game where he didn't score. Yeah, didn't even score. So, and he gets in that mode where if he hits his first two, three shots, he's pulling from anywhere. And and he's almost hitting from anywhere. And he is one of those players. It doesn't matter what the defense is doing. He'll hit a... One foot pivot fade away from 30 feet out. Yeah. And he'll drain it in your face. Yeah. And disrespect your whole family. Corver's hitting shots. Tristan Thompson 
I know he was kind of banged up in the Indiana series. Didn't get much run. He's playing great. Just now, not necessarily Tristan, points, but he's being that banger down I think low. Tristan came out that last game of the first round yep. and played very solidly. I think it's he's continued that. I think that finally gave him some confidence going into this next round. He, yeah, he's he's almost looking like the Tristan Thompson that dominated Al Horford, that got Tristan this big ass, big ass contract that he's got now. Even Jeff Green's hitting shots, and I have, I have always said this. I don't think any player, definitely in the NBA right now is better than LeBron as far as getting his teammates their shots. No. And helping their supporting cast. Because, man, when he was in the heat, I swear Mike Miller never missed. And that was just one thing I could never get over is even Shane Battier. Like, he had these players. I don't know if he just passes it to the right spot and it just hits their hands perfect. Well, you know, there's there's the story of, oh, LeBron will watch film and ask his teammates where they like to catch the ball. And that's where he tries to do it. I don't necessarily believe that. I think when you're in in game, you're just trying to get the ball to them. I don't think you can pinpoint, oh, they like it on their right side, their left side. But LeBron's got great court vision. um, And he does. He finds his shooters. I mean, to be honest, you said Kyle Korver was hitting shots. Kyle Korver has been hitting shots. He, there was a long stretch in the season where Kyle Korver was the number two guy on that team. And LeBron would, Pretty much only give it to him. Yeah, and that's that's not a good thing. No, it's not. For Corver to be your with but, the talent they have. Yeah, and and Corver this series, I mean, he's been consistently 15, 16 points. So he's finding his shots. Um LeBron is finding JR, like you said, and then even though he's not finding JR, JR's not afraid to create his own. Oh yeah, either. for sure. But all that his supporting cast and how they've been playing well, which really Created this sweep. LeBron, he's still the leader. He's still getting his. He's averaging 34 off 55% shooting, averaging nine rebounds and nine assists. That's in the for playoffs. the whole playoffs. Yeah. That's crazy. That's This man's in his 15th fif- year. 15th year. One rebound and one assist shy of averaging a triple double for the playoffs. Now, I know. We all freaked out last year when Westbrook averaged a triple-double for the season, which is an incredible feat. It got him his MVP. I thought it was well-deserved MVP. But like I just said in the previous segment, the playoffs are a whole different game. Things slow down. Teams have time to game plan for you. So for him to still be averaging some numbers like that, I mean, those numbers are higher than his regular season numbers. So we talk about players elevating in the playoffs – but Donovan Mitchell that you said we're going to get to later, here's a, he's a guy who's elevated his entire game. Well, he's a rookie, and he's got that energy. LeBron being in his 15th year, first time playing 82 games in the season. And all these minutes he's playing. I mean, consistently he's, in, he's at 42, 43 minutes a game. And that was my thing is, oh, well, he played too much in that first round. They could not rest him or they would not have gotten out of that first round. I don't know what he's drinking. I don't know <laughs> if he's like Amari Stoudemire where he used to take baths and red wine. <laughs> but he's doing something to where his body is getting better as, as the season and the playoffs go on. It's it's crazy to talk about. It's crazy to see that, you know, we've talked about in pre-show. I've always been a – I've respected LeBron. I mean, you have to respect LeBron. But I've always kind of been a LeBron hater. But this playoffs, what he's doing, just night in and night out, clutch shot after clutch shot, 
it, it's almost it's almost winning me over to be like, well, I already I mean I already know he's unstoppable. Now that he has that jump shot down, he is unstoppable. So, and now that he's getting some help from his teammates, this team looks really, really, really solid. So I think in terms of becoming a believer, we're all witness. <laughs> I think LeBron, this might be the most clutch he's ever played. He's He's gotten criticism in the past for not taking the clutch shots, for passing it on, finding Chris Bosh in the corner because it's the right play. Like I just said, when you're the best player, sometimes you got to be aggressive. LeBron is taking the last shots. And he's he's definitely gotten some game winners throughout his career. But here he is, first round, he had a game winner against the Pacers. Caught it, turned top of the top of the three, sunk it. Game mm-hmm. winner. And then here he was in game three, tied up, dribbled all the way down the court, and I think probably hit his toughest game winner that I've seen. It wasn't a set your feet, hit a three. I know they've been showing replays of there was a time he hit the he beat the Pacers a few years ago, and that was just a, a layup on Paul yeah. George. This was a tough shot. He's dribbling down the left side of the court and just rises up mid-range, does kind of like an awkward across-the-body right-handed floater at, <laughs> off a weird, glass. at an angle off glass to sink it, and he made it look way too easy, and that is a, a tough shot. I think this is the most clutch LeBron has ever been. But my theory of why all of a sudden he's that clutch is because this is the first time he knows he can't rely on other people. He knows he's always been the guy. Yeah. But he's also always tried making the right basketball Moves. play. Mm-hmm. He knows in that first round he didn't get any help. He knows his teammates have been struggling. Yeah, they stepped up in the second round. But you best believe he knows he's not letting his legacy be up to one of these teammates. So he's taking these last shots every time now, and he's making them look easy. And that game three winner was spectacular. Again, I respect the game. That was a tough, tough shot. Now here's a, I, not really a criticism, but one thing why, how you said he's so clutch, right? You know, both those game winners, the game was tied. So if you miss the shot, you go into overtime. Now, I've always said LeBron has been kind of, when it comes down to that crunch time, he's, how you said, he's kind of looking for the the basketball move. I don't know if he wants the ball in his hand. Well, back in the day, I didn't think he wanted the ball in his hands. So, you go back to the Indiana Pacers series when he hit the game winner, that three, where they missed the goaltending, right? Yeah. So, and Vic that Dali- was goaltending. It, it was goaltending. But they can't review that under NBA rules. I think that needs to be a rule change. But I, I get it as the rules are right now. That's not a reviewable play. Yeah. So you say it was goaltending. Um, let's say they do call it, right? Indiana's up two. I don't think LeBron's taking that three. I really don't. I think he tries to get a two, maybe kind of force. Maybe he does make it to tie it up. But because it's a tie game, he knows, hey, if I miss this, we're going to overtime. So I kind of think that's both these buzzer beaters this this year in the playoffs. Now, I'm not trying to hate on the man. I'm just kind of making the observation that this is why I think, granted, you still got to make the shot. Anybody can take the shot. But as far as being clutch, he knows in his head, because 
to be honest, this is how I would be on the court if I'm dribbling down. It's like, well, it's a tie game. If I miss it, we're going to overtime. It's all it's all good. You got nothing to lose. Exactly. You got nothing to lose. And granted, he's hitting the shots, but I don't want to. I'm not taking anything away from. Him. I'm just kind of pointing that out. The kind of observation I've made. But nonetheless, I mean this this man is just he's he's on another he's a, level right now. He is. He's just a man am, amongst boys. Now we've talked about LeBron. While we're still in the series, let me just touch on the Raptors. Since, again, they were the number one seed. Again, I had no belief in them prior to the playoffs. But they still supposedly had a solid solid squad, right? I, I think that game one loss Got where they, they, led the whole, they led the whole game, ended up losing at the end, that was the breaker. Now... I'm just about, this is not my hangover of the week. It could have been. I'm sick of the DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry story. Okay, they got two solid all-stars. They're not superstars, but they are both all-stars. You got this dynamic duo backcourt. I think that's done. I think Toronto has to make a move I think it needs somewhere. to be done. Now, you talk about, they're these two great players. Just listen to this stat. For the series, Lowry and DeRozan together scored 138 points. LeBron by himself scored 136. Together, Lowry and DeRozan got 46 assists. LeBron by himself got 45. And then rebounds, granted these these are two guards, Lowry and DeRozan got 30 rebounds. In the series, LeBron got 33. So you're telling me basically these two all-stars playing together. Equal one LeBron. Equal one LeBron. (laughs) So I think it's time to split up the dynamic duo. Toronto thought they had all the pieces they needed. Had a good bench. They thought they've been building. They got the number one seed. They thought they finally kind of answered all these questions that they've had in the past. And I think this just exposed... Toronto for what they were. They're they're a fraud. They weren't a real number one seed. DeRozan averaged 22.7 points in the playoffs. In game three, he only scored eight points. And then in game four, he only scored 13 points. He disappeared, which these two usually do in the playoffs. One of them will have a good series. The other one won't. Yeah. And this flip-flops every single year. And then in the last game... Game four, elimination game, Kyle Lowry. This is probably the, the most disappointing to me. He only got five points. Yeah, He's supposed to be an all-star in this league, scoring five points in an elimination game. Yeah, he might not know they can come back down 3-0, but you don't score five points. That's playoff P levels, and we just <laughs> roasted him last week. Hell yeah. So I think Kyle Lowry deserves just as much as, of a roast as Paul George got last week. That's pathetic, man. I think you watched that game four. The only person who looked like they even wanted to be out there was Valanchunas. And not not just game four, to me, the whole series. Yeah, Valanchunas, game four, like you said, yeah, that whole series, that man can battle. I almost feel bad for him. He needs to go on another team. He got 18 points in game four. He had three blocks, and it wasn't just little tip blocks. It was guys trying to take it to the hoop, and he sent them home packing. So, when the only person that looks like they have any fire to them is your center, 
when you have two supposed all-stars on your team, it's time to reconsider. I think they might need a coaching change. They need to split up this dynamic duo, keep one, move the other. But this whole story is over. DeRozan didn't even make it to the fourth quarter of game no. four. He got ejected after a, a foul. So yeah, just Really just a, fl- a frustration flavor. It, it was a frustration foul, and that's understandable. You're getting embarrassed, and man, should they be embarrassed? The disrespect, not just from us, but man, around the league, from announcers on the internet, how many people are calling it Lebronto? It's not Toronto anymore. That man owns that, that town. It's embarrassing. These Raptors, they got taken out by Lebronosaurus Rex. I mean, <laughs> you you listen to these announcers. This is this is professional announcers disrespecting this team live during the game because of how pathetic this looks. So, the Raptors, I think they need to go back to the drawing board. This really exposed them. This was a team that the Cavs were a team that were not supposed to sweep. They might have came out of the series, but they were not supposed to embarrass this team the way they did. And I don't know if it's mental or just the way their squad is set up, but Toronto, y'all got to go back to the drawing board. This team is not going to get you anywhere. These stars, supposed stars, are not going to get you anywhere. I think you can have one and maybe build some stuff around him, whether that be Lowry or DeRozan, but neither of them are a perennial superstar. And again, I just think that was embarrassing on their end. Everything you said there, I totally, totally agree. This team looks lost. It's something with LeBron as far as LeBron's in their head. And I just don't see them getting over that hump. I totally agree. They need to break up the team. Now, I think, I think as far as if they do break up the team, I think they split ways with Kyle Lowry. I know DeMar still has a good contract with them. He just signed that, by the way, which he had the chance to go to the Lakers. You know, he's a USC guy, but he chose to stay in Toronto. But you got to show that fight, and they just didn't show any. I, I agree with Valanciunas, only one who looked like he wanted to play. Because even when you're down like 10, 15, or it's like in their head, it's like, oh, shit, here it goes again. Like, nothing we can do. It's LeBron. We can't do anything. Which yeah. I agree, I don't think they can do anything, but you got to show that fight. And don't wait till game four in the third quarter when you've only scored 13 points and you're already down 30. Start smacking guys in the face. Yeah, to do a flagrant foul. So I mean, I agree, I'll be pissed too, but it's also on himself as far as DeMar DeRozan. I think, I do think part of it comes down to coaching. There were definitely some times where they probably should have doubled LeBron more than they did because – Okay, you want to pass it off to J.R. Smith? If J.R. is going to beat us, cool. Like, we can live with that. It's not mentally, you know, demoralizing to see, all right, this streaky shooter just caught fire. But, I mean, they basically just played LeBron one up the whole time. Even that game three game winner, they let him dribble all the way down the court. Uh, that, yep. that wasn't some pass it in from half court, catch and shoot. That was, let me just bring it up the court untouched, get just outside the paint and rise up for a floater. At some point, your coach has to say, okay, this guy is the best player in the league. We got to put bodies on him. And if other players beat us, then damn, they're just a better team. But if it's LeBron beating you, I mean, a, a, granted, not, I mean, every team has this problem. Every team in the East, 
has to go through LeBron, and it's been tough. There's a reason this man's been to the finals every year for the past, what, seven, seven years? Seven years, I think. So this isn't something new, but I just think coaching-wise, you have to try something, and they never – they never made any adjustments. Which I know how how GMs work. That's what the, that's what that's the move that's going to happen. It's not going to be the player. It's going to be Dwayne Casey. They'll get rid of him and they'll keep Lowry and DeRozan. Which I don't know. Maybe he is a problem. I just don't see them ever being anything other than a great regular season team. Yep. So, all right. That's all I got to say about the Raptors. That just exhausted me. So, yeah, you, yeah. You went in. You went in. <laughs> you went in on them for a second. I mean, heck, they made me look stupid. I had to, I had frustration <laughs> pent up for a week. I had to let out. So let's go ahead. Let's move on. It's that time again. It's time for the hangover of the week. Hangover of the week. All right. So for anybody, this is their first week listening to us. Hangover of the week. This is something we do every week where this is a story that we're tired of hearing about this week. It's giving us a headache. It's making me want to curl up and stay in bed because it's making me so sick. It's my hangover of the week. AJ's hangover hangover of the week. We're trying to put this story to bed, finish it, go ahead and rehydrate and move on from this story. So this week, I'm going to let AJ start off think he's got a good one for you all right well my story i don't want to put it to bed i almost want to bring light to it good point and yeah as i detail this story i'll kind of explain why and the reasons free agent running back in the nfl mike james he went to the university of miami in 2013 he suffered a broken ankle playing with the tampa bay bucks Prescription drugs is what he was given. Oxycodone, all the painkillers imaginable, pretty much at unlimited quantities. You hurting? Cool. We'll give it to you. Well, he got addicted to those drugs. He became dependent. Both his shoulders are shot. One of his knees is aching him all the time. But he still wants to play in the NFL. He doesn't want to give it up. It's a sport he loves which I understand I would be in that same situation. But he came dependent on prescription drugs that the NFL just hands to you when you say you have pain. They they load you up on it. Well, Mike James, he found a safer alternative, and that is marijuana to deal with his lingering discomfort. Well, recently he applied to the NFL for therapeutic use exemption. That's, I guess, a form you fill out saying the drugs, this is the drugs you want to take. Well, he asked to use marijuana. And of course, the NFL denied it. So this idea of marijuana, that's kind of what I want to get rid of. Roger Goodell's opinion on it cause marijuana unhealthy and addictive and it's not in the best interest of the health and safety of our players well for one no i'm not a heavy i'm not a marijuana user i'm not out here's like yeah we got to legalize it but it brings up an interesting point 
is how long will you have to deny the marijuana until one of your former players either ODs on these prescription drugs that you get hooked on or they're homeless because they have an addiction. How long does this have to go on before you change your views on your medicinal marijuana? And it brings up a point. I was watching a complex.com video. They're talking to NBA players while smoking a joint, passing it around. Now, these are former NBA players. Al Harrington, who with the Hawks for a while. You know, Matt Barnes, which I look at Matt Barnes. I was like, yeah, I bet he does smoke. <laughs> but you have these players. You know, Matt Barnes said 98% of the players in the NBA right now use marijuana. You know when you're going to get drug tested. You know how to pass, how to get by it. Matt Barnes said he never played a single game in high school, college, or NBA, not high. And I was like, wow. I, I don't know if I believe all that. Now, he said for him, he has anxiety disorders. It helped him relax. It helped him not do things that he know he knows he would have done if he wasn't high as far as with his temper. He said he had a bad temper. And I thought it was really cool. Al Harrington, he's invested a lot of money in his in medicinal marijuana. And he said he meets with David Stern all the time as far as trying to get this approved to help these players have this as a medicine to recover and just to be able to, I don't want to say freely use it, but use it to help you get your body back, help you relax. So back to the NFL story, I think it's just a matter of time until you have a player that ODs on prescription painkillers that that the addiction was started from being injured in the NFL. And I want to kind of just get rid of that that mindset of first off marijuana being addictive, which I it's not. I know a lot of these players, I mean, in the NFL, I'm sure about 85, 80% of players probably higher use it now because NFL you know when you get tested so I just kind of want to retire that story I know it's kind of a I don't want to say deeper but I think it's kind of a big issue because I just think it's a matter of time before a player comes up overdose and it's a sad thing sad thing that sad thing to think about yeah and I mean that kind of speaks to the crisis that's going on in the country on a bigger scale anyway. I mean, you had doctors writing too many prescriptions for these painkillers freely and then people get off it, but they're still addicted. And that's why now you have a heroin epidemic going across the country. So I definitely get what you're saying. Um, I think that's a good point. And of course in the NFL, I mean, that's the most brutal sport. Oh yeah. There is uh, one interesting thing that, I, uh, watching the Matt Barnes interview, he said in the NBA, they only test for marijuana. That's, That's interesting. It. Yeah. And he kind of brought it up to uh, an African-American issue. Now, I'm not sure I agree with that, but because 95% of your players are African-American, you have that that uh, stereotype that all these guys, they're from the hood, they smoke weed, so they only test for marijuana. And, of course, NFL, you got your marijuana and you got steroids it's a big steroid sport for the yeah. NFL 
I thought it was interesting. I don't necessarily agree on that, but I thought it was a very, very cool video as far as those former players explaining that it's everywhere. And that is my hangover of the week. All right. That was a good one. This one, well, I got to follow that. So (laughs) I'll go ahead and jump in. My hangover is not as deep, not as insightful, but the big story coming out this year or this year, this week, and it's giving me a hangover is the criticism of this story that Matt Ryan just signed his extension with the Falcons. Too much money, man. (laughs) Giving me a hangover right now. So Matt Ryan just this week signed his extension again with the Falcons. I believe it was a five year, um, 130, I think. 130, I, I think it's 100 guaranteed, somewhere mm. in the realm of 30 million a year salary. Highest paid quarterback in the league. 150 million contract extension. But I think about 100 of that is guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, people are saying that's way overpaid. That Matt Ryan is not worth that. That 30 million a year is too much for any quarterback. So I don't know how I feel about that. I've heard a lot of criticism that, hey, he couldn't get us a Super Bowl the other year. This is not worth him signing. We should just focus on maybe another quarterback, which is, I mean, that's the craziest take I've heard. Yeah. So so let me kind of get into my spiel. Matt Ryan is worth every penny of that. One, because, I mean, the league's... Money's going up anyway. This isn't the year 2000. I mean, you got to look at where contracts are heading. Yes, Matt Ryan's the highest paid quarterback. Is he the best quarterback in the league? No. But our team, the Falcons, they're willing to shell out a certain amount because Matt Ryan has been here his whole career. And there's something to be said for, in this league, stability, a sense of maturity, This is a quarterback who's gone through different head coaching changes through different systems and has adapted. He's not coming out and criticizing the organization. He keeps his head down and he gives the Falcons a fighting chance basically every year that he's on the field. Now, again, people are saying he's not worth that money. Well, look at all of the teams in this league who have not been able to lock in that franchise quarterback who are on kind of this merry-go-round of quarterbacks for years and years. I mean, obviously the biggest example, which we touched on last week, the Cleveland Browns can't find a quarterback, can't keep a quarterback. Even the Jets, they're moving through quarterbacks. You only have a few teams in this league who are able to really lock it down, have the same quarterback, and having that consistency and that maturity puts them in in contention every year. New England, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, even though, you know, Ben Roethlisberger does, he has been coming out and complaining a little bit as of late. (laughs) Green Bay. So, no, Matt Ryan's not necessarily better than all those quarterbacks, but the money was there. He gives the Falcons a fighting chance every year. And, again, he's able to just kind of hold down the organization. So, I'm sick of hearing about, we need another quarterback. Because he's not worth this. Who who are the Falcons going to go get 
that's going to be better than Matt Ryan. Again, are, are we going to draft somebody? So we're going to bring in a rookie to replace him, maybe have him sit a couple years and, and hope he does better. Matt Ryan has been in the league 10 years. He's got the record for yards, I believe. Yeah, in, in, in his in first 10, 10 years. years. Yeah. yeah. He got the NFL record. He's been to Super Bowl. No, he hasn't won it. But, but again, he got you there. Again, there's something to be said about consistency in your team. And trust me, there are tons of teams, about three-fourths of the league, who have not had that consistency. And it puts you on a search for years to come. And for you Falcons fans who are dissing this extension, I think you forget those years after the Vic years where we had Byron Leftwich, Joey Harrington. We had these quarterbacks that were just fillers who couldn't win you games. They were just set pieces, but they weren't a franchise guy. That's the one position where you need a franchise guy to buy in and possibly be there his whole career. So just wanted to get that out there real quick. I have no issue with this contract. I'm sick of the criticism about it. Yes, it's high. But again, it puts us in the fight. And that is my hangover of the week. All right, now we're going to move to the West of this NBA second round. We're going to start with the Warriors versus Pelicans. Warriors have a commanding lead of 3-1. It's been all Warriors, pretty much, which I knew coming into the series. I know we kind of argued last week as far as I saw the Pelicans getting one more than the Rockets getting a game. I mean, the Jazz getting a game in their series. And I said Pelicans will either win game three or game four. They won game three pretty heavily. That's just one of those things. You're back. You're in your hometown and you're in your arena. You you know your goals, <laughs> which that's always been a, a issue as far as people have said. Just knowing your own gym kind of helps a shooter. But, yeah, it's just, it's just been all Warriors. I know Steph is back, too. He's I know last week we were talking about that was kind of the breaking news that he was he was coming back. He is coming back, yeah. Steph's averaging twenty three on forty three percent from three. He's just kind of getting back in the swing of things. He's looking good though. Yeah, um, he is. I, I mean, mean, he he's moving the ball too. Yeah. He's not just kind of spot up shooting. He he looks like he's at a hundred percent. He doesn't look like he's holding back or. Yeah, I will say it is respectable. Um, that first game he came back was off the bench. He played well. The team played well. Next game, he actually told Kerr that he should probably come off the bench because the team was gelling so well without yeah. him. Um, of course, Kerr said, no, you're you're starting. but And then they lose by 20. Still, I do, I do <laughs> got to give some respect to Steph um, just for kind of noticing, like, hey, the team's playing good. Let me just... And I think that's a small snapshot of why they play so well because they're so unselfish. And one of the reasons why they were able to bring KD over. KD saw that. I mean, their pitch was, dude, as far as Steph Curry, I've won two MVPs, but if you come here, you're our team, and we're going to work around you. So why wouldn't you want to go to that? And I think... And you see that with KD dropping 38 in game four. They're perfectly fine just letting KD eat. Perfectly fine with it. And that 38, I know there's been a story that Draymond texted after the game three loss texted Katie at four in the morning and said, hey, you need to be you. I'm sure he used some other words, knowing Draymond, <laughs> but you need to be you. 
you're you're a elite scorer. You're the reason why we wanted you to come come here. Like your ability to play. Like and KD yeah. answered, dropping 38, being aggressive, doing whatever he wanted to. And that's coming from this team won a finals. They won a ring. And they still bringing this guy in unselfishly. He's like, hey, we will work around you. We've done it ourselves. And they're still unselfish enough to say, bring this another guy in and we'll work around you. We'll be your cast. Now, I also got to give respect how we talked about how great Brad Stevens is as a coach. I said you have to put him right up there with Steve Kerr. A lot of people think Steve Kerr has it easy with the Warriors, but I think he he does a lot of pulls a lot of strings in the background that you don't necessarily see. So, like we just said, Warriors they got smacked around in Game Three. They did. Nobody expected them to lose that badly. Now, yeah. You, you you predicted Pelicans might win that first game back not at by, home, not by twenty, not by twenty against the Golden State Warriors. So Steve Kerr did kind of take a chance and going into game four, he he started what they call the death lineup or they call it the Hamptons lineup. And the Hamptons lineup that consists of Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and of course, Kevin Durant. Now what's so special about that lineup is the Warriors have won with that lineup in the game before. That's kind of their small ball attack you lineup. But this was the first time ever that Kerr started that lineup. And just want to jump back real quick, why some people call it the Hamptons lineup is because that crew of Andre Godala, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, that's the crew that they basically had a secret meeting with Kevin Durant at a hotel in the Hamptons the other summer and showed him how they planned to implement him into their team and was part of their pitch of getting him to come to Golden State in that offseason. So that was kind of a big deal. They met secretly in the Hamptons, recruited him, and that's why, again, they call that the Hamptons lineup. But Steve Kirk came out with that lineup. First time ever they've started together. And you have to know, after getting embarrassed in Game 3, that the defending champs were going to come out hungry, and they really kind of stomped down any hope the Pelicans had of beating that team. They did. And you go go back to that that death lineup. You look ahead, because I know everybody is. You look ahead to the next round as far as Houston. You can run that lineup against Houston. Granted, you have Capella, which, yeah, he's a big man, but he's not a banger down low as Draymond, far as Draymond scoring. Green, Draymond can take him. He can put his body on Capella. Yeah. And you even look farther ahead in the finals against a Cleveland. You can you can run that lineup as well. Oh yeah. Tristan Thompson is definitely he's a rough guy down low. But Draymond as far Green as, is a rough guy too. Exactly. So they kinda it's definitely in their favor as far as having those five guys on the court, their best five all at the same time. Yeah. And now I don't know if the Warriors will consistently start that lineup. I think to be honest, I think this was kind of a power move. Because Andre Iguodala is their sixth man. Um, I mean, he's one of the best six men in the league. He could really be a starter on any other team. I mean, he was a he was an all star in Philadelphia in his earlier days. I think part of this was a power move. I think there might have even been a little bit of mental aspect to it. 
think if you're on the Pelican side, you come out to that tip off and you see those five guys <laughs> standing across from you, it's not Zaza or JaVel McGee down there. It's <laughs> Draymond at the five and then Iggy at the four. Yeah, that's that's a little intimidating just in of that. So I don't know if they're going to consistently start that lineup, but I do think they were sending out a message, not just to the Pelicans, but possibly to the Rockets as well, that, okay, we lost one game. We're the defending champs. We want to show you how we bounce back. Yeah, and I, I feel like I say it every week. They're just kind of – they're they're priming themselves up, getting ready for this Western Conference Finals clash, which, I mean, I'm pretty sure we're both about, what, 99.98% sure? I'll take 100. That, I'll take 100%. Sure. <laughs> it's going to be Warriors and Rockets. Because, I mean, even Pelicans game three win, they had to have some, some big contributions. Yeah. And I will say this about the Pelicans. I know they're running this, like – really fast September offense, but when AD gets his and Drew Holiday, who's been playing lights out, I feel like, this whole playoffs, when they get theirs, they're a pretty tough team to stop. And I know I said it a couple weeks ago, it's like, do you really need Boogie? I don't I don't think that was ever a, a great fit. I mean, they, they were playing really well earlier this season with Boogie in the lineup, but I part of me struggles to see how that would translate in the Western Conference Finals where teams are trying to run, um, Anthony Davis can run a little better than Boogie can. So, yeah, he he's another great player, but I really don't see how he fits into the team. I agree. I don't think he will be with New Orleans next year. Probably not. And, I mean, Anthony Davis has been doing his thing in that Game 3 win. He had 38 or 33. Um, Drew had 21. And then, I mean, even – some of your role players like Miritich, he put up 16, which is still a very solid number. Yeah. When when Holiday and AD are playing well, when they're getting their shots, they're hitting them, That they're a pretty tough team. And as far as the future, you stick them together, maybe add a couple pieces here and there, because Rondo's been playing great. I think they can keep him in point. He's looking like Boston Rondo. Yeah, Rondo's been my surprise player of these playoffs. I thought... Granted, I didn't follow New Orleans that closely during the season, but Rondo, I mean, he's fallen a long way since his Boston Celtics day. He had a stint on Dallas where it just didn't work out for either party and and he kind of quit on the team. Yeah, he was with Sacramento. Yeah, so I thought Rondo was kind of done, really. I thought he was just a placeholder. And, I mean, he's kind of back to his floor general ways that he was on the Celtics even with maybe a little better jump shot. Not great, but a little better than what he used to have. <laughs> yeah, I think they had maybe a spot-up shooter as far as just straight threes, maybe like a Corver or somebody. Be a little bit of a solid, solid team. They got a nice little core if they keep them together, continue to develop. End of the day, though, they're still down 3-1. to one. I think, if anything, this shows how tough the West really is because here's a team – that swept my dark horse in the Trailblazers. <laughs> they made the Trailblazers look pathetic. And then they get to kind of that next tier of team, and the Warriors are making them look pathetic. So, I mean, I think it really shows just the discrepancy that goes on in the West when you look at that number one seed and then what's down at the bottom of the playoffs. I agree. So now let's move to our next series, Rockets and Jazz. Right, Houston's got a 3-1 lead as well. So, I really 
the Warriors and Pelican series and then the Rockets and Jazz series, they're kind of mirroring each other. Mm-hmm. You have the two dominant teams in the West playing a team that they're expected to beat pretty easily. And each team in New Orleans and the Jazz have been able to pull out a win. Yeah. And then that perennial team in the Warriors or Houston comes back and has to show them, no, we're still the big boys over here. You're, you got your one win. Enjoy it. But this is still our game. Yeah, and you kind of how you said as far as when the Pelicans won their game. AD had a huge game, 33-18. and 18. Drew Holiday added 21. Miritich, solid 16. Well, when Jazz won their game. Oh, that was damn, a show. Jo- that was jo- a show. Joe Ingles had 27. 10 for 13 from the field. 7 for 9 from 3. Joe Ingles like, that, did that, his thing. Yeah. And that's one of those games like as a Houston Rockets, like this guy ain't missing. You just got to chalk it up because he ain't going to do it night in, like game in, game out. And that's like I said about the Raptors. They Here you see Rockets putting more attention on the Donovan Mitchell, mm-hmm. the guy that got the jazz there. And if they lose a game by somebody else, you got to just talk that up to an L. Yeah. Cause but look, it's one loss. I'm not trying to jump back into the Eastern Conf- into the Eastern conference, but like I said, if you're Toronto and you put more bodies on LeBron and JR lights you up for one game and you, you take that L. Okay. That's that one time, but you have to know in the back of your mind, it's not going to be every game. And we know Joe Ingles is not going to put up 27 every game. Now, he's he is very solid, and he's been playing great in these playoffs, but he's not going to shoot 10 for 13, and especially not 7 for 9 from the <laughs> yeah, 3. That's just ridiculous numbers. So, as far as Houston, this series goes, I mean, it's definitely been lopsided. Now, I it was a big deal Sunday when – KD went off for his 30, 38, and Warriors took a 3-1 lead. Now, that game was before the Houston game. Now, I know a big media story was Houston was watching that game. There's no way in hell they would go they would lose game four, which they didn't. You see the Warriors take care of business, you got to take care of business because they want to be on the same schedule as having days off. Exactly, and that's what they're looking at, who's going to get to rest before that conference finals and man, the Jazz just don't have an answer for Houston when both Chris Paul and James Harden break that 20-point mark. If both of those guys are scoring 20, it almost doesn't matter what their teammates are doing because that's that's two, that's not all-stars. That's two superstars attacking you from different angles. And they're both great at finding other players. Now, you just gave me a look when I said Chris Paul's a superstar. Yeah, I wouldn't say superstar, but I mean... He, he's a top-tier star. Chris, I, I'm, Chris Paul's been the, kind of the quintessential point guard of the league for the last 10 years. He's been a pure point guard. He's always been solid. His defense has always been tenacious. Yeah. Chris Paul's been a lockdown point guard on the defensive side. I think when you look at point guards, <laughs> he's part of the banana boat crew I mean, he, with he LeBron can- and Carmelo, and he's in that top tier <laughs> of star. Yeah, he was – I think it's tainted his legacy that they were never able to take the Clippers farther. But individually, and yeah, he's he's got a bad playoff reputation, which I think is part of why he came to Houston to try to change that. But come on, man. 
Chris Falls a superstar. <laughs> He, he, he's I, on the back I, end, but he's a superstar. I think you're getting lost in all his State Farm commercials. That's why he's a superstar. But look, now I know I said earlier about Donovan Mitchell, right? And how he just went stellar and super stellar in round one against OKC. And I was like, look, this ain't... Now, I'm not taking anything away from him. He played damn outstanding, outstanding. But look at this series. He's shooting 33% and 24% from three. Now, that is more of the Donovan Mitchell from the regular season. Now, I know he had a great regular season, but he's not a shooter like how he showed in round one. He's he's not the shooter how he showed in round one. He, his game elevated in round one to a whole other level. I mean, it was a historical level that he was playing at. But I think he's still in contention for, I mean, maybe the best rookie in the league other than Ben Simmons. And even in this series, no, his shooting percentage is not great at 33%. But you still see flashes of he's able to spin, put a spin move on somebody and and take them to the rack. He's not relying on the jump shot. And I think that's what's going to set him apart going forward is he's not just trying to be a jump shooter. He has that ability to take it to the hole which is what he did a lot in the first round. And he had games in the first round where his jump shot struggled and his teammates had to tell him, no, you keep shooting. You do what you do. And I think that's carried over a little bit that since he is still young and the jump shot's not as developed, because I think once you're in the league, your jump shot develops over those first few years. Yeah. That's your thing. This is his first year where he gets to only concentrate on basketball. No, no classes, no homework, mm-hmm. no anything. So a lot of young guys come in with not the best shot, and it develops over time. Hell, look at LeBron. LeBron's in his fifteenth year. He I finally, I finally shooting. have confidence in his three point shot. Yeah. So, I think Donovan Mitchell. It's going to come, but man, even this round, some of the moves he puts on people just to get get to the rim are still impressive. Um, and I'll give it to him. Yeah, he this series. I think it's it's almost like the 76ers. This series is is teaching them a little bit. Yeah. I think it'll if anything it'll just help him going forward. But uh yeah, the Jazz just don't look like they have enough to get past the Rockets this round. Yeah, they don't. One last thing about Donovan Mitchell as far as I think the Ricky Rubio injury hurt them more than they thought it would. As far as Donovan Mitchell has having to play more of a point guard role. It really did. Yeah. And I know did. that was a big thing with That's a good point. He's playing more of a point guard role, so you're kind of taking the ball out of his hands as far as he's kind of taking it out of his own hands, thinking that he has to play more point guard, more dish it out. Now, I know Joe in the OKC series, Joe Ingles ran more of that kind of point guard. But Donovan Mitchell is having to do more against this Houston Rockets. They're a better team. So I, I kind of think instead of taking those jump shots or driving to the hole, you're – kind of just timid looking looking for your teammates because he kind of he's kind of having to play point guard because Rick, Ricky Rubio is out because Ricky Rubio man he was balling in the playoffs yeah he was doing against well. OKC and man again just going back to the Rockets I do I think I said this the other week who always surprises me every time he's on the court like for some reason I forget he's on the team and then he plays really solidly Eric Gordon Eric Gordon man <laughs> yeah I swear like Eric Gordon I mean Eric Gordon was that game a, four he dropped what 30 yeah yeah and, to have that guy coming in as your backup, that's this this Houston team 
is they're, deep. They're really deep. They got a great bench. They're really deep. So that's why, again, we're so early here. I don't want to go ahead and jump ahead a series. That's good. But this time next week when we're talking about these conference finals, man, that's going to be something to, to digest. How Who's on the bench for each of these teams? Because, man, Houston is deep. I mean, Warriors and Rockets, that has potential to go down as one of the best NBA playoff series. I think it'll be one of the best ones since OKC and Warriors the year that KD OKC ended up leaving. Was, OKC was up 3-1. I remember that. Yep. And an uh, interesting thing about that series, Houston has home court. So yeah. that'll be a big thing to watch too. Yeah. Which Houston got that number one seed. And I know during the regular season, a lot of people said, well, the war- and I said the same thing. Warriors are playing for the playoffs. So we'll see if that uh if that home court advantage makes any kind of difference. But coming back to this series, it's going to be interesting. Um, game five is tonight, Tuesday night. Yeah, both of these series could wrap up tonight. Yeah, there, there's a good chance both of these series end tonight with Golden State winning four to one and Houston Rockets winning four games to one. And then, like I said, by this time next week, we'll be talking about the conference finals. Yeah, so. and I'm. Um, Philadelphia and Celtics that could end tomorrow, Wednesday. Exactly. So we could have, we could start conference finals by this weekend, which that's going to be a loaded weekend. I can't wait to watch. You you won't hear any complaints from me. No, heck no. I have no plans. All right. And that's the, uh, the Western conference playoffs. So moving on, let's go ahead and just jump straight into it. It's that time again. It's time for. Last call. Okay, and again, for those of you who don't already know, our last call segment, this is just something we want to touch on real quickly here at the end of the show. Uh, Maybe we didn't have time to get to it, or we didn't want to devote a whole other segment to it. Um, This can be something sports-related. This could be something that has nothing to do with sports. But this is our last call. And this week, it is sports-related, and I'm going to let AJ take it away. All right. As some of you guys know, I'm a Steelers guy. I know a couple of weeks ago we talked about the draft and what happened. And Pittsburgh drafted, which could be the replacement for Ben Roethlisberger when he retires, Mason Rudolph, third-round draft pick quarterback out of Oklahoma State. Now, Big Ben's in the news this week. He, in an interview with Pittsburgh's 93.7 The Fan, he said he was surprised that the Steelers took a quarterback because he said in the third round, you could probably find some really good football players that can help the team win now. So he's, I love Big Ben. He's my guy. He, I've always loved him. I, I liked him when he was at Miami, Ohio. Not all of them. Honestly, you you knew Big Ben. I, I knew Big Ben because I remember okay. Miami, Ohio used to get a lot of games on TV. Because they had to get that out there. They would play football on like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, like a lot of the, a lot of these small schools because you know Sun Belt, Georgia Southern does it now. They'll play on Wednesday sometimes yeah. just to get on just to get TV exposure. But Roethlisberger said, "I know last week he came out and said he wants to play. He's thirty six. He wants to play three, four, five more years if he's healthy." And he said that he thought the Steelers believed him as far as making that commitment. But when they drafted the quarterback, he's starting to question that now. 
And it kind of just seems like he's complaining about that. But as a organization, you have to, you have to plan these things out. Roethlisberger, he gets banged up. I mean, every year he gets banged up. And two years ago, Big Ben said in the offseason he contemplated retirement. But now you're kind of mad that your team's maybe drafting a quarterback to be developed, to sit behind you, watch you, listen to you, be taught by you for the future of the organization. You shouldn't have a problem with that. I know when Big Ben was forced his rookie year, he was not necessarily forced, but he was he but he was forced to play. Tommy Maddox went down, their starting quarterback. Big Ben stepped in, won him a Super Bowl. And Big Ben said that year, he said, I owe so much of my success to Tommy. But now you're not reciprocating that same stuff that Tommy Maddox did for you to this young guy, Mason Rudolph. Which I just don't understand it. And like, I want to pull for you, but don't make me mad like this. (laughs) So... But every team does it. I know in a couple years, maybe two, three, four more years, Falcons are going to draft a quarterback. They have to start thinking about it. And you have to. It's it's. I don't want to jump into your last call, but I think it's a little selfish to get mad when you're getting up there in age and the organization starts looking forward. They're not even... It's there, not, yeah, there's not like they're saying, hey, this is whoever's the best is coming out of training camp. That's who's starting. No, Ben Big Ben is still their guy. Yeah, exactly. But to to kind of throw a fit when they do draft a quarterback looks like I mean one a little immature. Two it to me it's like almost like a quarterback midlife crisis. It's like, okay, this organization that I've been with for years and years here they are drafting quarterback that might replace me someday but I'm going to be mad about that you're you're not going to play forever and let's let's just be honest I know that's your guy Big Ben is not doing the TB12 method looking like Tom Brady <laughs> Big Ben's not going to be playing until he's 42 43 like Tom Brady is so there's going to be the time where his body eventually kind of starts breaking down yeah and the Steelers are going to have to make that decision, and they don't want to have to make that decision on the fly. Exactly. You want to have a quarterback in place in the system that can kind of step in after two, three, four, or five years of learning. Look at Aaron Rodgers. He was drafted by Green Bay. I mean... And it was kind of the same thing, though. Brett Favre, from all reports, was not warm to Aaron Rodgers. No, he wasn't. And... I think these guys have been the best at what they do for their entire lives. I think age gets everybody at some point and to realize there's not much you can do about it. I think it's just the way they, they channel that frustration. So um, it's not like a, like you said, it's big Ben's job and it always will be big, big Ben's job until he proves he can't do it no more. It's not a Joe Flacco situation where this year Ravens traded up and drafted Lamar Jackson, where Joe Flacco has definitely declined ever since his Super Bowl. He has definitely declined, and it's almost kind of he's on the clock. Big Ben's not on the clock. He's the guy. He's got two rings. 
He's he's proven to be the guy. In a more recent example, 2017, Alex Smith for the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes. What did Alex Smith do in 2017? Had his best year. Exactly. Got, just got that huge contract with Washington. So this might propel Big Ben to have a great year. But as far as his complaining, I just don't see it. I don't see a reason why he should do it. It's, it's just kind of overrated. Like, why? And I will say this. Big Ben's never been one to be afraid to call out the organization to the press. I mean, when he doesn't agree with something Mike Tomlinson does, he'll kind of get out there and say he didn't agree with it or he doesn't know why they did this. So, I don't know. I think it's more him putting pressure on the the management that he's not happy with the coaching staff. But, of course, when it comes to draft picks, that that's all management. So, Organization, you got to plan for the future. It, it happens to every team. I mean, like I said, Falcons will draft a quarterback in the next three or four years because you have to. You have to plan for this. So that is my last call. Just want to wrap it up. I'm still Big Ben. You're still my quarterback. <laughs> you're still my guy. Just kind of lay off on all that stuff. Hell, go out and have a great year. Let's win a Super Bowl. Let's do it. Just stay out of Milledgeville. <laughs> Let's please get a Super Bowl before Le'Veon Bell leaves. If y'all not going to pay him, please wake the hell up and pay this man. Good point. All right. Last call. So that's our show for this week. Again, really looking forward to next week because we might be in the conference finals for the East and the West by this time next week. And that's what we've been looking forward to all year. I'm almost... I almost have more fun in the conference finals than I do the actual finals just because you have more games going on. You got four teams playing and they're the best of the best. So I'm I'm really excited for this NBA season. This is the first one in a while where it's not an automatic Warriors and Cavs lock. I could see I mean I could see the maybe Houston squeezing it out. I could see maybe the Celtics squeezing one out. Hey, right. We'll see. But I'm just saying this is not this is the first year in a while where it's not automatic locks on each side. So I'm excited for it. Make sure you check with us next week. You listen to this, you got this far, go ahead and hit subscribe. Go ahead, follow us on Twitter at ballers on tap. Go ahead and let us know what beer we need to try next week. And again, we, we tweet daily. You don't agree with us. Let us know. We, Hey, we've been in some Twitter fights. We can handle it. Come at us. We'll come back at you. And if you agree with us, let us know just as well. We love it. Um, For this week, again, I'm one of your hosts, Evan Kelly, with the other co-hosts. KK, what it is, what it do, what it ain't. Whatever that means. And uh, we'll see you next week. This was Ballers on Tap.